0: It's Chase and Josh, with fact fantasy. That's Chase and I, am Josh, and we're here to give you part five of Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King today, where we are going to be detailing and outlining and highlighting the key differences between part one of the film and the corresponding sections of the novel. I know we've mentioned before, it's a little difficult, you know, when we first did this with the Fellowship of the Ring, it really lined up well with the novel and the sections there, but when they started switching perspectives, it started to get a little different between the film and the film and the book. So what we've had to do is just kind of do the the novel straight through and then kind of highlight the differences as they come across uh, in that film versus versus the novel. So that's what we're going to be tackling today, part one of that. Uh, you know, I've, I see this one was a little bit uh, on the really different side than things we've kind of covered uh, the past couple weeks or so. So I'm interested in you know really detailing this, finding out the differences that Chase thought were important, the ones that I highlighted myself, and we're just going to kind of go through it that way, and before we get started, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll, we'll get after it. Yeah, I think this is the <laughs> most notes I've ever taken
1: on a, besides Harry Potter, on like a differences <laughs> perspective. I uh, And you know, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed this film, and now I look back and I still enjoyed it for what it was, I guess. I mean, I think the best way for me is I look at them
0: like they're two separate franchises. <laughs> and I'll let like, you take it away, Jay Nelly. <laughs> See, like that'd be fine if they didn't use the same exact name as the book that they're covering, right? Like, so for me, like <laughs> I always try to. Uh, see how closely aligned they are. And, and up until this point, you know, there's been minor differences here and there, but nothing. Uh, there may be two or three things overall that I've had huge issues with that affect the plot line from Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers when we covered the differences between the, the films and the books there. But this right here, this part one, it was uh, of Return of the King that we're going to cover today. It was just really, there was a lot of differences. And so, yeah, what, what we'll do is we'll just kind of, take it through where I'll detail two or three take give it back over to Chase he'll detail two or three and we'll just keep going like that until we get to the conclusion of it and then you know after this it's really only two more episodes right it's the it's differences part 2 and then it's our bonus episode where we close out with you know some rankings and some cool facts from the appendixes and, and then we're we're on to something new you know so it's uh, really cool that we're really tying this stuff together it's you know, we got this week and next week and then we got the bonus episode, and that's it for Lord of the Rings, and, uh, you know, it's been it's been quite the ride, so uh, let's do a little cheers, guys, with glasses in the air, and we'll get this thing rolling. Cheers, brother. Malice in the chalice, man. Off to the pit of misery, you. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, let's brother. Let's do it, brother. You got it. All right. So, to start out, this is the biggest, like, the, like, the first thing that I took away, anyway, is obviously there's, there's differences all around, but... The first thing I said here is that the opening scene where Smeagol kills his best friend Deagle, and it shows how his time with the Ring began, well, we've known this story since the Fellowship of the Ring in the books. Gandalf went to the Shire and, and told Frodo the history of where like the Ring came from and how it has been passed down to Bilbo, so we've already known this since Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know why it was necessary to wait until the very last movie to, to put this all in, but here we are. And then also, the, the Return of the King book, it starts with Gandalf and Pippin's perspective of them going to Minas Tirith, but in the movie, it starts with Frodo and Sam, and when they're still with Gollum here. And keep in mind, we're still not on the proper timeline yet of events, because Shelob's lair and everything that, like, the path to Cirith Ungol and passing through the Morgul Vale and stuff that we're going to see here in part one, that's already happened in the book. So that's already happened in the two towers. So this is already, the timelines are still not quite matched up, and... Uh, Even by the end of this film, for at least two, like a perspective on the two, Frodo and Sam, they still don't end up lining up at the end of part one here. But uh, the the scene then shifts to Merry and Pippin after the fall of Isengard. Again, this has already happened in the Two Towers book. But this is a really interesting part, is when we kind of get to Saruman and things that happen here. This this really, really uh, affects especially the ending of the Return of the King novel. But... You know, Saruman pulls out the palantir in the movie and tells Gandalf that Aragorn will never be crowned king. Then shoots this random fireball from his staff at Gandalf, and <laughs> Gandalf kind of just waves it off and makes it disappear. Literally, none of that happened in the book at all. They went up to the, in the book. They went up to the doors of the Orthanc, and. They had the conversation, and Gandalf had told him, "Hey, be careful, because he still can use the power of his voice, and it can still like, ensnare you if you're not, if you're not, you know, about yourself here." So uh, then he breaks his staff that way. But there was this no battle or this attempt to kill Gandalf from Saruman that the movie just decided to add in. And then Gandalf breaks his staff into a bunch of pieces from the top of the tower. And he broke his staff in the book, but it seems like it was just like one snap. Of course, they had to add some dramatic flair. But anyways. Uh, he ends up having this, argue, Saruman ends up having this argument with Wormtongue, telling him he'll never be free, and then smacking him to the ground, and just uh, ends up pushing Wormtongue over the edge, and Wormtongue stabs Saruman in the back and kills him, then Legolas shoots Wormtongue, kills him dead, and that, like I said, that changes the whole ending of the book, and that's when Saruman does this weird, after he's been stabbed two or three times, backward fall off the top of the Tower of Orthong, and lands on this like windmill spoke and then the the damn ball rolls out of his sleeve like the palantir ball the fuck that was (laughs) like (laughs) it was just all wrong and it just totally fucks with the plot line of where the book was going at the end of everything so those are the first ones that i wanted to detail i'll turn the 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 floor over to you and see if you kind of had the same things There was more that you added to that let's kind of let me know what you got
1: yeah no i i think you i mean i don't think there's you know always in my notes and these differences i always write down dialogue and stuff but Kind of the parts Josh hit. I think yeah, Jay Nelly hit those really well, so we won't go through the dialogue on those. Mainly, you know, Gollum's my boy. But so the next couple parts I had after that, I first of all, I'll just put on a side note here. I thought that was super weird, the whole Saruman thing. Like, I think I was the first one where I was like, what the fuck was this? <laughs> like, I don't really understand. That's the first one where just, like, Tyrion says this cannot be forgiven (laughs) I thought it was cool the Legolas shot though I guess where he shot off Wormtongue but it was very one I it's got to be a plot hole because I don't see how you have a big ass crystal ball that falls with you with your clothes all the way down the tower landing on a mill and just happens to fall out but then I get the kind of I did. <laughs> this was kind of like i don't know if they did this for irony for treebeard because he had that one line remember the mill that he lands on the spike goes through him and it drowns him and treebeard goes saruman drowned with the filth the filth is washing away from Isaac. That was it. The filth is
0: washing away.
1: You know what that reminded me of? Of the half blood prince where Draco was like, in the film specifically, I ever do that, I'll throw myself off the astronomy tower. <laughs> it was like, there was no need to have that at all. In fact, you probably spent money computer generating everything and having it say that. I don't know. So. Kind of skipping down here. I did think it was cool. Uh, Legolas and Gimli play that drinking game. So I thought that was a cool ad. Because you know they're always back and forth. So I thought it was good. And uh, Gimli's like last one standing wins. (laughs) I thought it was really funny. And then kind of going back to what uh, you were saying a few weeks ago. And this has been a pretty popular debate that we put on social media. Is You know should Harakorn have ended up with Eowyn? interesting ad here um so eowyn and aragorn kind of have this moment and theoden goes i am happy for you he was an honorable man it was not (laughs) theoden of rohan who led our people to victory don't listen to me you are young and tonight is for you so there's definitely something going on (laughs) definitely something going on uh was that i don't recall this
0: being in the book at all i don't know about you was this in the book at all this little theoden no not at all because remember they didn't go back uh to that way right away in the book at first it was and then this is another difference we're going to cover in just a little bit like aragorn passed through there first not with king theoden with the dunedain and elrond's sons and that's when she argued with him about like you know not going to the path that they were going to take and so they weren't even all there at the same time <laughs> like like, uh, yeah, well, and then on top of that, like even if I've got that part incorrect, and this is supposed to be like the camp area before Gandalf and Pippin like Roth Mia, because like I said, the timelines aren't matched up here between the book and the novel. I'm sorry, the book and the movie, the book and the novel are the same damn thing. between like book and the film, <laughs> like they're not lined up, so let's say this was the camp because I see what ends up happening here just a second, like Pippin grabs that, so and we're we're in this area as well no, this is not happening because Eowyn's not with them. Eowyn was not with them at that point in time. So whichever way you slice it, you know, if you're talking about the way they own it back, like either Aragorn wasn't with Dayden or aon wasn't with them. So there was no, this never happened.
1: Yeah, it was, it was
0: interesting ad. I mean, I didn't mind
1: it because I guess it didn't like affect the plot, but it definitely kind of aids your point there from a Especially from a film perspective I did like this part Gimli, you know, they're drinking back and forth with Legolas And Gimli's like It's the dwarves that go swimming With the little hairy women <laughs> he was, It kind of reminded me of Tormund Where he was like And he was riding on that thing But ironic because he's supposed to be like Holding his liquor And Legolas is like A slight tingling in my fingers I think it's affecting me i thought it was great and uh then of course Gimli passes out he's like what did i say he can't hold his liquor <laughs> just passes it out passes out and legolas like, oh, goes game over <laughs> i thought it was great specifically guys this is in the extended version so you won't see this in the theatrical release i can see why because it wasn't exactly important but it was a cool ad and then uh uh, just a couple more here, and I'll pass it over to you. Aragorn has this moment with the Gandalf, which in the book, it was definitely not this way in the book, but I guess they were going off just a shot in the dark in the book, but Aragorn just says, every day, Frodo goes closer to Mordor. Out of nowhere, Gandalf goes... How do you know that? Like Mithrandir, probably one of the smartest people in all the Middle Ages. Like, how do you know that? And the Aragorn goes, what does your heart tell you? And Gandalf randomly, kind of like the Frodo Sam moment, just goes, that Frodo is alive. Yes, he's alive. I don't know where they decided he was just randomly alive because in the book, We were talking about probably because he could read through the mouth of Sauron and what they were saying about how, you know, maybe this is just a bluff, but all right, I'll take it. I don't know where that came from. And then uh, my favorite part of this entire film, I'll take and I'll pass it over to you. You see this shot of Smeagol arguing with himself, and he goes, it's too risky. It's too risky. They stole it from us kill them kill them both shh quiet mustn't wake them mustn't ruin it now but they knows they knows they suspect us and he's looking in the water what's it saying my precious my love is smeagol losing his nerve no not never smeagol hates nasty hobbitses is- Smeagol wants to see them dead. And we will. Smeagol did it once. And he can do it again. It's ours. Ours. We mustn't get the precious. We must get it back. Patience. Patience, my love. First, we must lead them to her. We lead them to the winding stair. Yes, stairs and then Up, 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 up The stairs we go Until we come to the tunnel And when they go in There's no coming out She's always hungry She always needs to feed She must eat all she gets is filthy orcs And they doesn't taste very nice, does it, precious? no Not very nice at all, my love She hungers for sweeter meats Sam begins to wake up and looks over Hobbit meat When she throws away the bones And empties all the clothes Then we will find it And take it for me For us Yes, we meant for us (laughs) Golem The precious will be ours, once the hobbits are dead! You treacherous little toad! Sam comes in. No! No master! Frodo looks at him. No Sam! Leave him alone! Sam! I heard it from his own mouth! He means to murder us! No! Never! Smeagol wouldn't hurt a fly? He's horrid! Fat hobbit! He hates Smeagol! And who makes up nasty lies? You miserable little maggot. I'll stove your head in. Sam, call me a liar. Ah! And climbing up the tree like a little monkey. You scare him off. We're lost. I don't care. I can't do it, Mr. Frodo. I won't wait around for him to kill us. I'm not sending him away. You don't see it, do you? He's a villain. We can't do this ourselves, Sam. Not without a guide. I need you on my side. I'm on your side, Mr. Frodo. I know, Sam. I know. Trust me. Come, Smeagol. Gollum grabs his hand and smiles. (laughs) I loved it. And then we'll steal it for me. (laughs) It was great. It was an excellent ad. I thought it was fantastic. Amazing monologue. My favorite part of the entire film. What did you think of that little monologue there, Jane
0: Nelly? I think you need to be awarded an Emmy for that performance of having three characters performed by Chase Brown himself. Let's give him a hand, guys. Let's give him a hand. He was he was Sméagol, he was Gollum, he was Sam and Frodo all at the same time, and he did different voices for everyone. Let's let's give him the old round of applause, guys. This guy earns an Emmy today with his perfect acting performance. But uh, in terms of what actually happened, like it is what it was. Uh, you know, it, the, the, he caught him red-handed about it just it didn't make sense to me like he literally heard him say those things and froze just like oh no nah. like they just let the, the whole situation yeah like, I mean, like they let it go they can't let it go he said "Once well, the hobbits are dead I'm gonna take the <laughs> ring back and like he said you keep it for me like like then they had the little battle argument and Sam just was like, okay, I guess, whatever, Mr. Frodo says, but <laughs> Sam like, is a little bitch, man, like, he just does
1: whatever Frodo says. Just, sorry to interrupt you as a side note.
0: No, like, that's, you know, pretty much it, it's just, I don't know, I just, I don't find it very believable that you overhear someone, like, like, if me and you are going on a fucking camping trip, and yeah. there's this damn creature that can talk, and then I overhear it being like... Hey, I'm gonna kill him when they're not paying attention. I'm gonna be like, you no, know, Chase. Like, he just said that. And He's like, no, he didn't. I'm like, no, motherfucker, you did. Like, I, I got it. Like, <laughs> you did. Like, see, like, 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 I just heard my own ears. Like, he had a whole little episode and he missed it. I'm telling you what he said. Like, I would not let that not shit go because I'm be like, all right, well then you go on by yourself because I ain't gonna sit here and get killed by this motherfucker because you don't want to listen. Like, you know. So I don't know, man. It's just weird, but that's how I think about it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. uh, Anyways, back to you, Jay Nelly. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, dude. Uh, I just want to take a second back to the Palantir part, too, where it fell out of Saruman's like, robe. Like, You know, the big difference in how that happened is, like, in the book, Wormtongue actually threw it off of Orthnok and tried to hit either yeah. Gandalf or Saruman. The book says it could have been either one because of how much he hated both. So I thought that was interesting that it, it, they changed that fully, but they kind of go on past words. Like, yeah, because I also enjoyed the the little uh, ad between Legolas and Gimli and that drink off, and you know this part of what happens with Frodo, Sam and Smeagol is all on the two towers still so this is that that's the difference in and of itself but that i will say that Sam never did in the books c- confront Smeagol about trying to betray them or attacking him like like he overheard him saying some things but he never like confronted him about it or like went to attack him and Frodo never like had to hold him back that was just like a slight difference there i think all that does is try to grow the animosity between Sam and Smeagol and what ends up happening and like the culminating event of what comes later in this part but definitely something to mention there also when you were talking about eowyn back in rohan they yeah she had this weird uh moment with aragorn and also with king thaden but didn't she also have this weird premonition dream that just came out of the fucking sky she's like <laughs> yeah like, that was
1: <laughs> weird i don't know man i don't know what that she's like, was like i was standing on
0: the edge of the abyss in darkness and there was light behind me but i couldn't turn around I'm like what the hell is this Like that's that shit was kind never of
1: happened. creepy too honestly like she was sleeping on a couch
0: or something and <laughs> I don't know. It was just very strange. And then, obviously, what happens next is Pippin goes and grabs a Palantir from Gandalf while he's sleeping. And uh, we have that whole moment there. But, again, keep in mind, that that this point is coming towards the end of the two towers, at least for this side of stuff. The perspective of Fro and Stam so is a ways to go. But we're kind of coming to the point, because where, where the two towers ended off was when Pippin and Gandalf, they were on their way to Minas Tirith. Right? So the Two Towers ending off from that perspective. Obviously the Two Towers ending off from Frodo and Sam's perspective ended where uh, Sam tried to get Frodo's body back and threw himself against the gate and couldn't go any further. So they, this is, they we're starting to get to the end of the Two Towers from the perspective of you know Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, Merry Pippin. And so he ends up grabbing that Palantir and he has that weird episode with the Eye of Sauron inside the Palantir. And then this is the part that's really dumb. This is one of the biggest... Like, faults in this movie is Aragorn once goes and grabs a Palantir from Pippin and then faints. Like, Aragorn grabbed the ball, like, and then he just like f- like falls limp. And that is 100% not accurate at all. Because if you guys remember, Gandalf tells Aragorn that he's the only one that can handle the Palantir because it's his by right, because yeah. he's the king of Gondor. And he even and Aragorn even uses that Palantir in just a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of if you're trying to line the sequences up. He uses it around this time after uh, Gandalf and Pippin leave for Minas Tirith. When the Dunedain come in and talk to him about, you know, some potential plans and what they could be doing. So the fact that he grabs his Palantir and faints as if he didn't have the power to it or, like, it was just too much for men to to hold, it's just factually inaccurate. It's, like, so bad. So I thought <laughs> that was, like, really, really stupid there. You know, like I said, he not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Aragorn looks into it and shows Sauron himself as the King of Gondor to, to push Sauron to move faster, to make him, you know, the... the the swift stroke often goes amiss is what it says in the book there. So the fact that you know, he uses the Palantir in the novel and here he can't even touch it, that's just a big plot hole. That's really bad on the film's part. Should have done better. Um, next thing, Gandalf tells Aragorn to go to Minas Tirith by another way and to follow the river and look for the black ships in the movie. What? <laughs> that did not happen at all in the books, at all. In the books, it was the Dunedain that came after Gandalf of Pippinard, already on the way to Minas Tirith, and talk about potentially moving through the Paths of the Dead. And that's what I said, like when he, when Aragorn looks into that palantir, that's where he sees like the ships of the Corsairs flowing through, and that's how it's supposed to be in in the book. And in the in the movie here, fully different. And we'll get to that not too much longer. But uh, last thing I have, two more things I have before I jump back towards chases. Arwen has this weird future vision as she is on the way to leave Middle-Earth, where she sees a child running, ends up giving Aragorn a hug, and realizes that child is her and Aragorn's son. That doesn't happen in the book at all. Arwen's barely (laughs) even in the book. Arwen's just an afterthought who just comes at the end and decides she's going to be queen of the fucking world here. So (laughs) I don't understand where that came from. And then, of course, we've mentioned this a few times, but she tells Elrond to reforge the sword, well, the reforging of that sword was already done back in the Fellowship of the Ring, and it was already with Aragorn at the time they left the Council of Elrond. So this is just all silly here. Like, we're, Okay, now we're reforging the blade that was broken. We, we've already done this two, two sequences ago. <laughs> if you want to go by the, the you know, the two towers in the Fellowship of the Ring, this has already been done. So... Uh, like, and this is weird. It's been like a full 45 minutes before the movie even catches up where the book Return of the King starts with Gandalf and Pippin's perspective. And we're still way off on the timeline for Frodo and Sam. So, I don't know. Just uh, Those are the next little bit of differences that I wanted to point out and I'll turn the floor back over to Jace. Absolutely. It was strange, man. <laughs> it was uh,
1: very weird. Uh, I mean, I kind of, I guess, like ads that they did with arwen though because i like that she gets more of a role but i was odd One, one thing i just don't understand is uh and i actually have the quote here to back it up what i'm saying is arwen says um but there is also life you saw there was a child you saw my son and he said that future is almost gone but is not last nothing is certain I just came out of thin air (laughs) that they were going to have a child. And of course, she's literally betrothed, basically betrothed him at the end of the book. But at the same time too, also he said, Elrond says, there is nothing (laughs) for you here, only death. And he goes on to tell Aragorn that, like she's lost the light and she's dying. When the fuck do these immortal elves just randomly die because they love somebody and gave them a necklace and a star? Galadriel gave Sam the entire light and she's never had any problem. So I don't know if there's some history behind that. I would love to hear it cuz I don't know what that was. Um I did think it was visually cool. I like the fire on the palantir. Like they made this fireball thing. That was cool, kind of cool. Gotta well, that was, was what it was
0: supposed to be. It was supposed to be the eye of Sauron looking back at you through the palantir. That was what the fire was, like the fire eye. So like that's gotcha. yeah. Okay. That's like, yeah, that, okay. that was cool. I also agree. Like that looked cool. Just saying like yeah. like other parts of that just weren't factually accurate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was no Baragond, man.
1: No Baragond. Gone. I don't know where he was. Um, And then the next one I have, and I'll turn it back over to you, is Dinah has this weird, like, monologue (laughs) before, like, basically as Gandalf goes in to tell him to look for aid, and he gets pissed at Gandalf and says, You think you are wise, Mithrandir, yet for all your subtilities you have not wisdom. Do you think the eyes of the white tower are blonde, are are blind? <laughs> Do you think the eyes are blonde, the eyes are yellow, the eyes are blind? I have seen more than you know, with your left hand you would use me as a shield against Mordor, and with your right you seek to supplant me, I know who rides with Theoden of Rohan, oh yes, word has reached my ears of this Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and I tell you now, I will not bow to this ranger of the north. Last of ragged house, long bereft of lordship, <laughs> Gandalf says, authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king's steward. And Dinathor says, the rule of Gondor is mine and no others. And Gandalf calls Pippin and tells him to leave and goes, the white tree, the tree of the king will never bloom again. And Pippin says, Why are they still guarding it? And Gandalf says, Because they have hope that faint and fading, hope that one day it will flower. The king will come, and this city will be as it once was before it fell into decay. The old wisdom born out of the west was forsaken. Kings made tombstones more splendid than the houses of the living, and counted the old names of the decent dearer than the names of their sons. Childless lords sat in aged halls, Musing on the heraldry or in high cold towers asking questions of the stars. And so the people of Gondor fell into ruin. The line of kings failed. The white tree withered. The rule of Gondor was given over to lesser men. And Pippin looks out and goes, Mordor. And Gandalf says, yes. There it lies. The city dwelt ever in the sight of shadow. And Pippin goes, a storm is coming. And Gandalf says, This is not the weather of the world. This is a device of Sauron's making a broil fume he sends ahead of his hosts. The orcs of Mordor have no love of daylight, so he covers the face of the sun to ease their passage along the road to war. When the shadow of Mordor reaches the city, it will begin. Pippin says, while Minas Tirith impresses. So where are we off to next? Gandalf said. Oh, it's too late for that, Peregrine. There's no leaving the city. Help just to come to us. It was very interesting. Like I don't know what the point of any of that was, but it took out like an entire 15 minutes of the movie just so Dina Thor could have his moment to say he doesn't support Aragorn. That doesn't happen at all. And I feel like they really... Try to make Dinathor more look like a crazed mad king versus in the book. It's more like, yeah, he was sad, but he was still intellectual about the situation. <laughs> He's just like a, a crazy person. I
0: don't know. What are your thoughts? I thought so. That was a big monologue to take for no reason other than to say, like, there was this, like, the little, the little differences between what Gandalf said there in the the book, but um, (laughs) anyways, uh, so for me, like, I agree with you. There, in the novels, Denethor has it mostly together. Like, he has differences of opinion on, like, versus Gandalf on what they should do, and how they should have, you know, kind of marshaled the troops, and, instead of letting the ring go, taking the ring, but not using the ring. And he's been wrestling with the power of Sauron himself. And he's, you know, the, the, the steps of madness that it's taken Danathor, like where it is, like it was just more evident more quickly in the film than it was in the book. Like, like for the most part, he definitely wasn't a coward. He definitely wasn't someone who was like scared of everything. And I, I, I even have something to, to, to the passage of the book I wrote down to after a little bit when Danathor goes real crazy. Uh, but... Um, no, I, that's, I, I agree with you. I think that this, he really does come off as someone who's afraid to give power back that he's you know, had his whole life, which just isn't him at all. Um, he, is, he is very frustrated that it's been his people and his city that has been the, getting the brunt of all the forces of Mordor. But he's not been acting, like you said, like a crazy person. He's not losing his mind and saying that, I will never accept another king. Like, that's what the steward's there for. The steward's there waiting the return of the king, which, you know, hence the name of the book and the movie, The Return of the King. But, yeah, I'm, I, I, that's my thoughts on it, for sure. Yeah, and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Jay Nelly. Sounds good. And now we're kind of I'm in that same little spot here with Gandalf speaking to Denethor and saying, uh, you know, they have that little council meeting. But the big thing here that I, I thought was the biggest difference is that Gandalf gets mad at Pippin for offering his service to Denethor in the film. In the book, he was happy that he did it. He was like, no, that was a good move. Like, I'm glad you did that. Because, like, now he's got someone almost on the inside, you know, being able to get some information or whatever. Maybe not from Denethor himself, but from other people around him. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that that's a direct contradiction. He was mad at him for doing it in the film. Happy at him for doing it in the book. So it's very different there. Uh, that Also, in the movie, it makes it seem like Gondor has no allies. It basically says, like, you know, call to Rohan for aid. And that was it. They, they, but keep in mind, and I wrote this down here from page 31 in, in my book, I just want to dispute that notion because it shows all the people that came to Gondor's aid that they had plenty of aid. Well, not plenty, I should say. Like There's still like fewer men, but they weren't just alone on an island. Here it goes. It goes, And so the companies came and were hailed and cheered and passed through the gate. Men of the Outlands, marching to defend the city of Gondor in a dark hour, but always too few, always less than hope looked for or need asked. The men of the Ringlo Vale behind their son of their lord Dervorin, striding on foot. Three hundred. From the uplands of Morthon, the great Blackroot Vale, Tall Duinhir and his sons Dulian and Derifun, and five hundred bowmen. From the Anphalus, the Langstrand far away, a long line of men of many sorts, Hunters and herdsmen and men of little villages, scantly equipped, save for the household of Gallasgille, their lord, and from Lamondun, a few grim hillmen without a captain, fisherfolk from the ether, some hundred or more spared from the ships. Here lewin the fair of the green hills from Pinnithgallen, with three hundred of gallant green-clad men, and last and proudest Imrahil, prince of Dol Amroth, kinsman of the lord with gilded banners bearing tokens of the ship and the silver swan, and a company of knights in full harness riding grey horses, and behind them seven hundreds of men-at-arms, tall as lords, grey-eyed, dark-haired, singing as they came. And that was all, less than 3,000 full told. So that all I wanted to do there is just show that they had aid outside of Rohan. The film made it seem like Gondor was on an island. And keep in mind, Prince Imrahil plays a huge role in this book, and he just doesn't exist in the film at all. So that's just one of the things I wanted to mention. Really big moment there. Big difference. Moving on from that, uh, the king's head that Frodo and Sam found in the book, it was kind of described as defiled, like orcs ravaged it and made their own markings on it. But it was in perfect condition. It was knocked off the statue, but it was in perfect condition with a crown on its head when Sam and Frodo found it near the Morgul Then from there, I thought that this was... A really cool visual watching the Witch King come out of the Minas Morgul and the army coming out of the gates and him riding the Nazgul and the Nazgul screeching. I thought that was a sick visual, but again, we're still not caught up with the timeline of the book in this perspective. So uh, that was the only difference there I wanted to mention, but I did like that visual. One of the few things that I really liked better about this film than this part of the novel uh, it was also really cool to see, this is, this is another one, ad, right afterwards, is the actual fight at Usgiliath that made Faramir and other survivors ride across the fields of the Pelennor. So, in, in the book, it doesn't really show that battle, it just shows Faramir and four other people riding back on horses while being chased by the Nazgul. It doesn't show the actual battle of what led to that moment of them retreating from Azgiliath. And so we actually got to see that on film. That was a really cool addition. And there's one thing, if there's one thing about the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien that I wish was better, it would be his description of the battles. Because he basically mentions that the battles just happened. There's a few things here and there that are details of it, but we never get to see like an intense, in-depth description of what the battles was like. And so I wish that that was a little bit better. So I do like the fact that the film took, their liberties with that and showed the battle on screen that was really cool to see and last thing i'll mention here before i turn over to chase for his next few is that pippin never actually likes the beacons in the books to call for aid to, to to rohan so gondor's beacons were never lit that was not a part of the novel series at all gondor sent a messenger with a red arrow to rohan in the book that was how they called for aid so that was just completely different again so we just got you know back to back to back really heavy differences And I don't know, I just think it really kind of throws off a good part of the storyline for for some of them. Uh, But yeah, those are the ones I want to mention in this part. I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Chase, and then take us through what you got.
1: Yeah, no, that was great. Um, I guess kind of a foreshadowing moment that never happened in the book is Aragorn sees Eowyn's sword (laughs) that was, like, on the horse as she's, like, about to ride off. Remember in the book, like, I mean, you kind of get the idea, but it just says, like, a person like it never says like you don't have any foreshadowing that's kind of like the draco malfoid like i'll throw myself off the astronomy tower thanks for ruining it <laughs> appreciate it um then i i really this isn't really important i just don't understand why they kind of make theoden's character this way so i remember aragorn like runs off and he's like the beacons are lit and, and theoden goes and rohan will answer muster the Rohirrim, and he says so it is before the walls of Tirith. the doom of our time will be decided like i just don't really understand why he has lines like this like it it kind of sounds a little cliche or slapstick comedy (laughs) because remember they had the old battle at helms deep He gets his ass handed to him. He's like, is this all you can conjure, Saruman? Bro, you just got your ass handed to you. You're lucky Gandalf bailed your ass out. Um, So it's not really important, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, uh, I did think this was kind of cool, like how you mentioned you could see the fight. There was, like, an orc doing bird calling. (laughs) This is kind of interesting ad. Uh, I mean, literal bird calling. (laughs) It's like calling for the orcs in a bird sound. So, okay, all right. Um, (laughs) And then this was cool when, like, the Nazgul, the Ringwraith, and then the other wyverns were with it. Like, I call them wyverns or dragons, whatever they were like gandalf rides out as and they're like the white rider and he saves them by showing that blinding light i don't think that was in the book at all oh it
0: was that part was in oh the it book. was yeah oh okay
1: okay that was cool to see but um so <laughs> the next part i have and i'll send it back to you we're back to uh my boy frodo sam and one of my favorite tricksters. <laughs> so, Frodo is climbing and Smeagol sees the ring. And this is where you almost think it was an interesting ad because you almost think like Smeagol was wanting to take the ring at one point. And he goes, Come, master, careful, very far to fall. Come, master, come to Smeagol. And he looks at the ring and he's like about to grab it, but he sees Sam there. Sam goes, Mr. Frodo, get back, you! Don't touch him! And then this is so, so tricksy and falls. Gollum grins, reaches out, and pulls Frodo, Frodo up, almost like he was going to save him. And he goes, why does he hate poor Smeagol? What has Smeagol ever done to him, Master? Master carries a heavy burden, Smeagol knows. Heavy, heavy burden fat one cannot know Smeagol looks after master he wants it he needs it Smeagol sees it in his eyes very soon he will ask you for it you will see the fat one will take it from you and uh it's just a cool part because it it kind of you know unfortunately Sam kind of falls into a bad situation after this because of the the tricksy and false
0: <laughs> and i'll turn it back to you man for sure and just to talk to you about the uh, i found it in the book where gandalf runs out with the white light it, this is talking from pippin's perspective it says gandalf he cried gandalf he always turns up when things are darkest go on go on white rider gandalf gandalf he shouted wildly like an onlooker at a great race urging on a runner who is far beyond encouragement But now the dark swooping shadows were aware of the newcomer. One wheeled towards them, but it seemed to Pippin that as he raised his hand, and from it a shaft of white light stabbed upwards, and the Nazgul gave a long wailing cry and swerved away. And with that, the other four wavered, and then rising in swift spirals, they passed away eastward, vanishing into the lower cloud above and down on the Pelennor. It seemed for a while less dark. So he did shine that light above there to, to do that. But the good part is there is a huge difference there, and I did notate it here on my notes. It says... Uh, For me, it's in the movie, it was more than five that make it back from Asgiliath. They had, I don't know, maybe 30 or so riders running back to Asgiliath. And there was only three Nazgul chasing them in the movie. Where in the book, it was five Nazgul chasing five people. So that, like, five people on horses... So and then they, they ended up getting like thrown off their horses because the horses were scared of the Nazgul, and so the four men were running on foot. And Faramir had to go back to grab them. That's when Gandalf runs out with the lights. So very like the reason why I want to notate that and why it's a big difference is very few made it back from that Osgiliath battle to uh, Minas Tirith, like the inside the city walls. So that was just less people to defend the city. Uh, so just wanted to definitely mention that. Also, when Faramir gives Gandalf the news about him seeing Frodo not two days ago. He does, in the book they do it in a like they do it in front of Dinathor. They have a whole like, little meeting and he's trying to say it in code in a way and Dinathor's like you think you're smart dude like you're just trying, you're like some wizard's people. I know what you're doing, you know. So that didn't really happen uh, in in the movie. Then we have this weird thing where he as you can see the dislike for whatever reason Thor has for Faramir. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that he felt that Boromir was more loyal to him versus you know, Faramir is kind of loyal to what he feels is right overall, than just like following blindly his father's orders. He's like, hey, like you know, this doesn't make sense, and he's trying to like think logically. And with that, because he's trying to be logical, Dior thinks that Faramir is against him and is like doing things on purpose to like combat him, being his father. And so that's I think that really leads to a lot of the animosity between the two, because then. He, he like, falls down, and he has this... This is only the extended edition as well right here, this part that I'm about to talk about. But he looks up, and almost like like a guy in the desert who sees water as a mirage, or, like, you know, these pirates where they saw mermaids in the sea, that Dinothor has this mirage of Boromir that just came out of nowhere, that's standing behind Faramir, turns around and smiles at him. He's like, my son, like, he has this really weird illusion that just didn't ever happen. I don't know why. So, yeah, Dinothor has this vision of Boromir, and, uh, like disappears as he comes back to himself, so what that does, and almost to Chase's point, it really shows in the film, like, the madness growing inside him at an accelerated rate, more than anything, uh, also thought this was cool, this was an interesting ad, when Faramir and Pippin were talking about the armor Pippin was wearing, and how it used to be, be Faramir's once before as a child, and he, like, kind of leaves evidence to what I was saying, and Faramir's telling Pippin how similar Boromir was to Denethor, and how uh, Pippin thinks that Faramir has strength of a different kind, and so I thought that, w- that was pretty cool. A couple more things, and I'll turn back to Chaser, just because I know he's probably going to try to go through a bunch of the damn monologues, so I'm just going to get <laughs> at, I'm gonna try to get ahead of it, so that way we tackle the important parts of it, is that Smeagol never throws away the Hobbit's food in the book. That doesn't happen. That's a complete ad, unnecessary, uh, but I know why they do it, because they are leading up to the big division between Frodo and Sam that again doesn't actually happen in the book but we'll get there when we get there but uh he ends <laughs> up and Smeagol ends up doing ends up like throwing off the lembas bread and crumbling a few crumbs on Sam's cloak and then when uh Sam wakes up uh he has like he asks what Smeagol's doing and calls him a sneak and you know he's like I, I am sneaking around just kind of making a, a funny joke on it then he wakes up Frodo and he says, you need something to eat. And then realizes that all the lembas bread is gone. And he tries to blame Smeagol. And Smeagol's like, I don't eat that. I don't eat elven food. And Frodo's like, he's right. He doesn't eat it, Sam. Then Smeagol's like, ooh, look at the crumbs on his cloak. He did it. <laughs> he did it. You know, and then, like, that was a whole thing. And uh, Frodo ends up sending Sam away. Like, saying, like, you know, you know, go home, Sam. You're the problem. And that is just, again, factually inaccurate with an account of what happens in the books. They stuck together the whole way. They never wavered from each other. Like, there's been times... Where Fro snapped at him when he's mentioned the ring or tried to like you know ask to, to assist in that way, but he's never once like, you know, the whole animosity between the two never hit this sort of level in the novel series. So, um, last thing I thought was really cool too. This is just cutting back to the this is a, this is an addition that they added that I also really liked. It cuts back to Pippin and Denethor in his hall, and they start having like a little not I wouldn't say a feast, but they're eating and he asks Pippin to sing a song uh, from the shire and Pippin's like reluctant to at first cuz he doesn't think his songs you know from a small little area like the shire are worthy of great halls of kings and stuff and he's like no oh, no sing me a song and it was a really sad and hauntingly beautiful song that while he was singing it, it has cut scenes of the riders from Gondor going back to try and take Osgiliath and going basically going to their deaths and the song just hit perfectly with the like the motion of the horses and everything knowing that they weren't going to come back from that i thought that was really really cool and so uh, that was an addition, but it was, a, in my opinion, a really cool one. And with that, I'll pass it back over to Jace.
1: Yeah, I know that that was great. Um, that song, if you want to look it up, it's called "Home Is Behind." We put it on one of our promos one week, which is pretty cool. Um, but I just touching on that part there. It was really wild because you see how like they were charging into the orcs and then they get pelted with arrows. And right as they get pelted with arrows, like it cuts back to Dina and he. It was eating like a cherry or something and it squirts on his mouth so it's like symbolism of like you know they just basically got slaughtered uh so yeah i thought it was really cool no i thought you nailed it with the golem thing i think it was funny though when he was like you're very tricksy in his ways, he kind of just like <laughs> daintily tossed off all the lemon spread, like ooh, and then he he, he brushed his shirt. He's like fat hobbits. He goes, oh, what is this? <laughs> Crumbs on his jacket, sis. <laughs> thought, Ooh, what is that? Crumbs on his jackets, I see. <laughs> I thought it was great, it was hilarious. But no, you nailed it. Uh I guess the next thing I would have here is kinda interesting. Like, Aragorn has a vision of the Ghost King (laughs) before he goes to the mountain. Okay, I'm okay with that. I think that's a cool visual, I guess. I mean, apparently everyone's having dreams and visions now. We're just throwing them out there, but all right, sure. Um, You have this fun scene, I guess, with Eowyn and Merry. It's kind of similar to the books, but different, because he, like, whips out his blade, and she goes you won't kill many orcs with a blunt blade. And then Aomer being a tool goes try it like tries to tell him he goes basically like I worry about the length of his arm. It's like
0: okay Aomer like you're really cool. <laughs> All right. But I, I actually have that quote. One of the few quotes that I added to it that Chase did not. He said I do not doubt his heart just the reach of his sword. So <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go.
1: No that's great. Um And then, of course, then you have Elrond, who comes in and tells him, I mean, no reason to quote all this, but he basically tells him, the sword's been reforged, go get the army of the dead. And, of course, Aragorn's like, why? You know, they're murderous, treacherous. And he's like, do it. You need men and all the ships are coming in from the river that you're outnumbered. He's like, all right. Uh, The Elvish here, by the way, at the very end, which is pretty cool, is Onan, Estel, Endane, which is Elrond says, I give hope to men. And Aragorn says, an Estel, Anim," which is I keep none for myself. I always like to say the Elvish because I actually had to learn it for this podcast section, which is really funny because I need like a 30 second TikTok on it after studying it. So I got to fit it in where I can. But um, then cutting back to Aowen here. Um, and I'll turn it back over to you is like it is it was similar to what happened in the book where she really like cried which was correct me if I'm wrong this was was it yeah it was at the beginning of Return of the King where she like cried and stuff but here she just goes why are you doing this the war lies to the east you cannot leave on the brink of battle you cannot abandon the men And Aragorn goes, Eowyn, and Eowyn says, we need you here. Aragorn, why have you come, Eowyn? Do you not know? Aragorn says, it is but a shadow and a thought that you love. I cannot give you what you seek. I have wished you joy since first I saw you. And then Aragorn, like, leaves with Legolas and Gimli, and Theoden then tells Eowyn that he wants her to take up his seat in the Golden Hall if the battle goes well. But it's interesting. If the battle goes ill if the battle goes battle ill. Goes Ill. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, take my throne, anyways, <laughs> Rhaenyra <Brineria> Targaryen. <laughs> anyway, throwing that out there. Yeah, anyways, but um, but interesting too because Thayden kind of like I think gets the sense in the film perspective, not the book. It's like he thinks there's something going on because <laughs> remember he I, he was like almost even pissed Elrond showed up in a minute and maybe that's because he's against the elves but in a way I think it was kind of like you're not gonna be having Arwen come in here why I'm letting you giving you some niece <laughs> my niece is into you not gonna be playing playing two girls in the field of Rohan that's for sure so I don't know just my thoughts. Um, And it was cool watching Legolas and Gimli walk through the dead as they were kind of like summoning because the ghosts were there and Gimli was blowing them away. Interesting ad, I guess. Kind of like the Haunted Mansion, I thought. But back
0: to you, Jay Nelly. For sure. Just to catch up with you, a few things I wanted to mention back around that as well is like the whole paths of the dead introduction to this story from the film is all wrong. Keep in mind, and I've mentioned this a couple times, the Dunedain show up with Elrond's sons, here and Eladon, right? That's what he shows up with in the book. And what ends up happening is they take a council together, and Aragorn shows himself to Sauron in the Palantir. And in seeing him in the Palantir, uh, he found out part of like the plan from Sauron. He saw the ships that are going to be attacking that no one knows for. It's like a secret attack. And Aragorn saw that by looking into the Palantir, which again would lead earlier to when Aragorn fainted from the Palantir make that really stupid because that doesn't <laughs> that makes no sense. But he ends up deciding to take the paths of the dead because he sees that the black ships are unaccounted for and he needs to try to stop them or else the Siege of Gondor is just gonna they're gonna they're gonna collapse before Ron can even get there. So in the movie it almost looks like they come by the pass the dead on accident like they like camped up there and they see the mountain pass and that everyone's like oh what is that <laughs> like you know it wasn't an accident why they were there at all and you know it's funny too because uh, and, and actually, no, give me a second. I'll get there because there's other part too they were talking about. when you said a- Aomer was kind of being a jerk. He never is like that in the books. That that was yeah. a poor characterization characterization of Aomer, He never makes fun of marrying the books. He doesn't say, you know say he shouldn't go out to war that he would flee in the sight of uh, you know when the enemy coming at him and things like that. That's just not. It wasn't his character to say that. You know, it just was interesting that why they wanted to do. So I don't know why they added it. But anyways, uh, in the movie. Speaking strictly from the film side, only Elrond enters Rohan's camp and gives Aragorn the sword that was reforged, even though in the book he has already had that sword since the Fellowship of the Ring. So the Dúnedain themselves don't come in the movie, nor Elrond's sons, just Elrond alone. And Elrond tells Aragorn, you know, about the Paths of the Dead, where in the book he learns about, you know, the, the, the Corsairs of Umbar from the Palantir. So Elrond's sitting here trying to give him all this information when he finds it out on his own. Elrond doesn't show up to the camp. Period. Elrond has a like one part in the, in the books, and that's the initial council. And we barely hear of him again. Like, you know, like he does come up in passing when him and Arwen have that big heated, uh, you know, they parted in bitterness or whatever with at the end of the book that we talked about last week. But I don't know, man. It was just it was just all wrong. I don't know why they didn't add the Dúnedain and. We talk about this, too, is that, remember, the? it's only Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli that go into the Paths of the Dead, where, and talking about film side, where in the book, all of the Dunedain and Elrond's sons and Leg- Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli all go in there together. So it's like a whole big company going where, in this film, it's just like the three. This <laughs> doesn't make sense. But I guess they have to since they decided to just cut the whole Dunedain out, whatever. But, uh, you know, Elrond counsels Aragorn to take the pass to the dead, which is, again, all wrong. Elrond doesn't even show up in the book. So I'm going to go ahead and hit page 43 for reference. I do want to talk about this because I think it's pretty important. And it goes, this is talking about what like what Aragorn sees in the Palantir to show a few things. Number one, that he can use a Palantir and not fall, you know, pass out from it. And then on top of that, with the Dunedain and not Elrond giving him the information about the Corsairs of Umbar, it goes... This is from Gimli to Aragorn. You have looked into that accursed stone of wizardry? exclaimed Gimli with fear and astonishment in his face. Did you say aught to him? Even Gandalf feared that encounter. You forget to whom you speak, said Aragorn sternly, and his eyes glinted. What do you fear that I should say to him? Did I not openly proclaim my title before the doors of Ederos? Nay, Gimli, he said in a softer voice, and the grimness left his face, and he looked like one who has labored in sleepless pain for many nights. Nay, my friends, I am the lawful master of the stone. I had both the right. "'and the strength to use it, or so I judged. "'The right cannot be doubted. "'The strength was enough. Verily. he drew a deep breath. "'It was a bitter struggle, and the weariness is slow to pass. "'I spoke no word to him. and "'In the end I wrenched the stone to my own will. "'That alone he will find hard to endure. "'And he beheld me. "'Yes, Master Gimli, he saw me, "'but in other guise than you see me here. "'And if that will aid him, then I have done ill.' But I do not think so. To know that I lived and walked the earth was a blow to his heart. I deem for he knew it not until now. The eyes in Orthanc did not see through the armor of Theoden, but Sauron has not forgotten Isildur and the sword of Elendil. Now in the very hour of his greatest designs, the heir of Isildur and the sword are revealed, for I showed him the blade reforged. He is not so mighty yet that he is above fear, but doubt ever gnaws him. He's like, but then Gimli says, but he wields great dominion nonetheless, said Gimli, and now he'll strike more swiftly. The hasty stroke often goes astray, said Aragorn. We must press our enemy and no longer wait upon him to make the move. See, my friends, when I mastered the stone, I learned many things. A grave peril I saw coming unlooked for upon Gondor from the south that will draw off great strength from the defense of Minas Tirith. If it is not countered swiftly, I deem that the city will be lost before ten days be gone." And he says, Then lost must be said so Gimli, for what help is there to send thither? Then how could it come there in time? So I have no help to send, therefore I must go myself, said Aragorn. But there is one way only through the mountains that will bring me to the coastlands before all is lost, and that is the paths of the dead. So, like, there, just wanted to go ahead and, and give evidence to what I was saying. This is all done, done by Aragorn. And the Dunedain, when they brought him, that they brought him the standard, they did all these things, and they went in that, and he... Decided to go one on one and bend the stone to his own will. And so I don't know what the film was doing, just not following this. Like, it's right there. I don't understand, like, what, what difference does it make? Maybe they couldn't afford the the amount of actors it would take to have a whole host of Dane going there or whatever. But, you know, I just don't understand. Like, Elrond just shows up and says, Here's a sword, even though you've already <laughs> had it. And, you know what? There's going to be ships coming that you don't see, but I see because I see the future because I'm cool and I'm Elrond. And, Screw you, Aragorn! <laughs> and you—you you made my daughter not love me because she loves you more. And now she's dying, and you suck. And <laughs> <laughs> you have to take the paths of the dead because that's the only way you're gonna be able to get to the ships in time. And like, I know it's, I you know, paraphrased that, and made it sound ridiculous, but like that's how it came across to me. Like, this just—it didn't happen that way in the books at all. And I don't know why they decided to, to, to go that way. Um, also, in the film, they make it seem like. Aragorn runs away with Gimli and Legolas but it's not the case like they had a whole host going with them like I said into the because they're like why is he running away on the of battle like, then, you know, like <laughs> and then Gambling was like because there's no hope <laughs> no but yeah dude, like, I just thought it was ridiculous They made it seem like they're running away but like I said they go with the whole thing because. and they, they, they let him know they said this is what we're going to do we're going to take the paths of the dead like well dude if you go in you ain't coming back out and he's like hey well you gotta take the chance so I don't know again what the hell this movie was doing but uh Yeah, I already mentioned this part about who goes with him. Like I said, all the Dunedain and Elrond sons and Legolas and Gimli go with Aragorn in the book, in the film. Obviously, we saw just Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, so I guess that's cool. (laughs) I will say this. This is my second favorite quote of the entire movie series. And this is gambling and Theoden talking. And gambling, like this is like when they are questioning why Aragorn left, and he asks Theoden, uh, you know... He, like, he wasn't even asked they and he was, like, basically explaining everything. He's like, because there's no hope, that's why they left. And, and Theoden comes up, he's like, no, they leave because they must. And Gambling says to him, too few have come. We cannot defeat the armies of Mordor. And Theoden says, no, we cannot. But we will meet them in battle nonetheless. And I thought that was badass. Like that's my favorite. That's my second favorite quote of the whole series. I thought that was really cool. And then, yeah, I guess with that, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you. I only got a few more differences after that, so I'll let you go ahead and catch up with me there and say the few that you've got afterwards, and we'll just keep this train rolling. Yeah. Um,
1: and I mean, of course, it, it was an interesting speech Aragorn gave when they got in there and see the King of the Dead. He was like, you know, basically was saying i won't go through the whole thing but he was like i summon you to fulfill your oath and he was like what say you but uh, long story short is what happens what was really interesting ad is after all the ghosts that in the dead are there the place fills up with human skulls i don't know what was up with that (laughs) that's why i kind of wanted to bring this up It was cool though. Like Legolas tries to shoot the King of the Dead, and like an arrow goes right through his forehead. I thought that was badass to see on film. And seeing like the ghosts and how they look, like I said, it reminded me of like the Haunted Mansion at Disney or something. But I just don't know where the skulls came from. It's
0: like they flooded them out or something. I think the skulls are symbolic of like that's where they died because they didn't leave their mountains. They let they just stayed there until they died and that those skulls are theirs like the skulls are of themselves you know what i mean like the army of the dead themselves so like they are rest quote unquote actually they're not resting right that was the whole idea of the curse is that they will never rest until their oaths are fulfilled so i think all it's showing us is that they all stayed there in the mountains cowering so they didn't have to take part in that war but they all died there and those skulls are just theirs and you know they started like falling down on them so you know aragorn giving them the chance to fulfill that so they can rest in peace I thought that was cool symbolism with all the skulls falling and and kind of really uh, closing off the paths of the dead. To me, that was symbolic of, okay, no one's going to need to come through this path again because, you know, we're going to we're going to fulfill our oaths. And that's I'm sure you're going to get into that here in a second. But yeah.
1: Uh no, I mean, I, I mean, I thought that was good. I mean, it was similar to the book. I mean, the dialogue specifically is the king of the dead appears and says, who enters my domain? And Aragorn says the one that will have your allegiance. He says, the dead do not suffer the living pass." And I love this part because he stops his blade as he, it's like a ghost blade against the sword that's been reforged. And he says, you will suffer me. And the king of the dead, just like the book says, the way is shut. But it says, it was made by those who are dead and the dead keep it. The way is shut and now you must die. And that's when Legolas shoots that uh, that arrow and then Aragorn says, I summon you to fulfill your oath. In the dead king says, None but the king of Gondor may command me. And then that's when Aragorn holds the sword to his throat and says, It has been remade. Fight for us and regain your honor. What say you? What say you? And this is when Gimli says, You waste your time, Aragorn. They have no honor in life. They have none now in death. Aragorn says, I am a Sealdor's heir. Fight for me, and I will hold your paths fulfilled. What say you? You have my word. Fight, and I will release you from living death what say you and that's when they begin to disappear and gimli says stand you traitors and the skulls are falling and as they get out of there it's like aragorn's almost given up and the king of the dead just randomly appears and says we will fight i thought it was kind of cool um kind of jump in here a little bit um uh denethor has this moment where he (laughs) Goes a little wacko. Dude's whack, man. <laughs> Everyone's standing their grounds. And he goes, the house of Stuart has failed. When he sees Faramir like there with arrows. And he starts heading over to the ledge. And over the ledge speaks to his soldiers just out in the open. Of course, I don't think they could actually hear him. But he's speaking to himself or something. He goes, my line has ended. Rohan has deserted us. Theoden betrayed me abandon your post, flee, flee for your lives. (laughs) Gandalf like hits him and knocks him out and Gandalf goes, prepare for battle, man the wall, return to your post, send these foul beasts into the abyss. So once again... I don't like Dinah at all, so don't think I'm, like, Team Dinah here. But he would never do that. (laughs) I don't know, man. I think it's kind of, like, almost like a Hermione thing, but in a bad way. They tried to overblow his character into almost, like, the Mad King or something from Game of Thrones. And last one, and I'll send it back over to you, is um, this was cool, like they were gondor was slinging pieces of the broken castle back at the orcs and then nazgul was like flying around like with the other wyverns throwing men off the tower and um as like the rubble like gets thrown from gondor it lands on one of the orcs in front of that deformed orc i call him i don't think he actually had a name but um at this point uh this is really cool because Gandalf is telling uh, Pippin to go back and I counted Gandalf takes out nine orcs on his own, but then Pippin, I guess, proves his, his Hobbit warrior self and right as one's about to attack Gandalf. Cause he's saving Pippin here. Wouldn't have to deal with that if Pippin wasn't there, he stabs him and saves Gandalf. And so, uh, uh that was, I thought it was kind of a, a cool moment there. And um, the deformed orc gives this speech that's interesting. He goes, fear the city, it's rank with it. Let us ease their pain, (laughs) release their prisoners. And that's where the heads come out of the catapults, like the book, but definitely a little bit different. And um, at at this point, you know, uh, this is... Uh, when I'll turn it back over to you, because I'll kind of let you take the end here, because I know it's one of your one of your favorite
0: parts, right? One of your favorites. <laughs> uh, all a mess. Um, but just to go back a little bit to the paths of the dead, because you had mentioned, you said that, you know, you thought that the uh, the dialogue that Aragorn had was pretty accurate when it comes to the book. It actually wasn't. And, like, I'll just read, like, this little passage in the book of what how that actually went. And that's why I have such a big problem with it. They never had a confrontation. Like, the, the King of the Dead and Aragorn never, like, had a confrontation with each other, like, face-to-face or anything like that. It says, uh... I'm coming, this is from Gimli's perspective, and gonna go through this here. It says, The company now mounted again, and Gimli returned to Legolas. They rode in file, and evening came on in a deep blue dusk, and, fe- and still fear pursued them. Legolas turning to speak to Gimli, who looked back, and the dwarf saw before his face the glitter and the elf's bright eyes. Behind them rode uh, Elodin, last of the company... "'but not the last of those that took the downward road. "'The dead are following,' said Legolas. "'I see shapes of men and horses and pale banners like shreds of cloud "'and spears like winter thickets on a misty night. "'The dead are following.' "'Yes, the dead ride behind. "'They have been summoned,' said Elidon. "'And the company came out at last of the ravine "'as suddenly as if they'd issued from a crack in the wall, "'and there lay upon uplands of Great vale before them, "'and the streams beside them went down with a cold voice over many falls.' Where in Middle-earth are we," said Gimli, and Eladon answered, "We have descended from the uprising of the Morthon, the long chill river that flows to the Last Sea at the walls and washes the walls of Dol Amroth. You will not need to ask hereafter how it comes its name. Blackroot men call it. The Morthon Vale made a great bay that beat up against the sheer southern face of the mountain. Its steep slopes were grass-grown, but all was gray in that hour, for the sun had gone down, and far below the lights twinkled in the homes of men. The Vale was rich, and many folk dwelt there. Then, without turning, Aragorn cried aloud so that all could hear, "'Friends, forget your weariness. Ride now. Ride. We must come to the stone of Erech before the day passes. And long still is the way.' So without looking back, they rode the mountain fields until they came to a bridge over the growing torrent and found a road that went down into the land." Lights went out in the house in Hamlet as they came, and the doors were shut, and the folk that were afield cried in terror and ran wild like hunted deer. Ever there rose the same cry in the gathering night, The king of the dead, the king of the dead is come upon us. And bells were ringing far below, and all men fled before the faces of Aragorn, but the great company in their haste rode like hunters until their horses were stumbling with weariness. and thus just before midnight and in darkness, as black as the caverns in the mountains, they came to the hill of Erech. Long had the terror of the dead lain upon that hill, and upon the empty fields about it. For upon the top stood a black stone, round as a great globe, the height of a man that was half buried in the ground. Unearthly it looked, as though it had fallen from the sky, as some believed. But those who remembered still the lore of Western Nest, told that it had been brought out in the ruin of Numenor, and set there by Isidore at his landing. None of the people of the valley dared to approach it, nor would they dwell near. For they said it was a trysting place of the shadow men they were gathered in times of fear thronging around the stone and whispering to that stone the company came and halted in the dead of the night then Elrond gave to aragorn a silver horn and he blew upon it and it seemed to those that stood near that they heard a sound of answering horns as if it was an echo in deep caves far away no other sound they heard and yet they were aware of a great host gathered all about the hill on which they stood a chill wind like the breath of ghosts came down from the mountains But Aragorn dismounted, and standing by the stone, he cried in a great voice, Oathbreakers, why have ye come? And a voice was heard out of the night that answered him, as if from far away, To fulfill our oath and have peace. Then Aragorn said, Then the hour has come at last. Now I go to Pelagir upon the Anduin, and you shall come after me. And when all this land is clean of the servants of Sauron, I will hold the oath fulfilled, and ye shall have peace and depart forever, for I am Elisar, Isildur's heir of Gondor. And with that he bade Halberad unfurl the great standard which he had brought, and behold, it was black, as if, the, as if there was any device upon it, it was hidden in the darkness. Then there was silence, and not a whisper nor a sigh was heard, and again all the long night. The company camped beside the stone, but they slept little because of the dread of the shadows that hedged around them. But when the dawn came cold and pale, Aragorn rose at once and led the company forth upon the journey of the greatest haste and weariness that any of them had known, save he alone, and only his will held them to go on, for no other mortal man could have endured it. None but the Dunedain of the North, and with them Gimli the Dwarf and Legolas of the Elves. And they passed through Tarling's Neck and came to Lamedon, and the shadow house pressed behind, and fear went on before them until they came to Calembol upon Kiril, and the sun went down like the blood of Pennethgellon away in the west behind them. The township in the fords of Kirle they found deserted, for many men had gone away to war, and all that were left fled to the hills with the rumour of the coming of the king of the dead. But the next day there came no dawn, and the great company passed on in the darkness of the storm of Mordor, and were lost to mortal sight, but the dead followed them. So like, all he really did there is say, What have you guys why have you guys followed us? And they basically told him, We want to fulfil our oath and have peace. So there was no big, like, back and forth between them. There was no battle. There was no conflict between Aragorn and Ghost and Gimli and the Army of the Dead here. This was something that was fully added. So that was just all fake. <laughs> but uh, it was cool to see. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I didn't, I didn't hate that. It was nice to, you know, I thought it was cool. Like you said, when the Army of the Dead's king tried to swing at Aragorn, he blocked a sword that should have, you know, realistically any other sword wouldn't have been able to block it, it would have passed through him and cut him. But it's because it was the special sword It was able to stop a ghost sword. So I guess that was cool to see. But, um... Anyways, back to it here, it has a cutscene of Mary and King Theoden, I just thought that they were much friendlier with each other, and they were on better terms in the book than the movie, because it almost seems that when Theoden told Mary that he couldn't come to battle, it's almost like he dismissed him, like, like he wasn't worth anything, Where, because he's basically like, none of us can you know, bear the burden to carry you. And that's not really how it went in the book. He like let him down a lot softer and said, Oh, you know, I, I'm going to need someone to you know, be here and all that. He, he just seemed like they were better. He was very brusque and very, eh, I don't know. I didn't really love the way they characterized that relationship between King Thaden and Mary. Because remember, when King Thayden does die, and obviously we do know that because we went through the book already, I know it hasn't happened in the film, but... Mary has this whole thing in this book about how he doesn't even want to smoke anymore because it's going to remind him too much of King Thaden, and King Thaden meant so much to him as like a father that it was a painful, It would be too painful of a memory, and it's like they don't even care about that at all in this film, so I don't know. But I also thought this was annoying a little bit. Mary didn't know who he was riding with in the book. In the book, the person went by the name of Durnhelm, and he said he recognized the voice, but he couldn't place it. In the movie... He just says, "My lady, yeah, know who it My is. My lady,
1: yeah, <laughs> it was hottest lady in the Rohan, picking me up. <laughs> yeah, suck it, Aomer, eh,
0: suck it." <laughs> it just was unnecessary. You could have just kept it a secret. I don't know, but that's what they decided to do. It was a difference there, and like I already mentioned this other difference. Like there was no standoff with the King of the Dead and Aragorn. Just they all just follow him, you know. And then he tells them what the deal is. You. Come with me and destroy the enemies of us and like the you know, the people who are allying with Mordor, and I'll hold your fulfilled, and that was pretty much it. Uh, but then to go back to Gondor, Faramir's injury in the book was a poison dart. And Chase and I actually talked about this a little bit when we were like, asking, like, hey, was that poison dart was like a blow dart? Could have been like just done through a crossbow. And so we actually had a whole conversation about what it was. Where in the movie it was just two arrows. Like, I don't I don't understand, but okay. Uh, then I also, with this part here, we're talking about Gandalf and Denethor. Chase talked about this a little bit with Denethor having that crazy monologue of like, "Flee, abandon your posts, and like just let them overtake <laughs> Gondor." You know, uh, Gandalf never hits Denethor to take command of the defenses. Denethor never tells the men of Gondor to abandon their posts or flee for their lives. And to prove that, I actually went ahead and added the, <laughs> uh, the page numbers here because I definitely think this is important <laughs> enough to, to go over. This is uh, for me on page ninety-four, and it says, "Messengers came again to the chamber in the White Tower, and Pippin let them enter, for they were urgent." Denethor turned his head slowly from Faramir's face and looked at them silently. "The first circle of the city is burning, Lord," they said. "What are your commands? You are still the Lord and Steward. Not all will follow Mithrandir. Men are flying, and the walls are flying from the walls and leaving them unmanned." "Why? Why do the fools fly?" said Denethor. Better to burn sooner than late, for burn we must, go back to your bonfire, and I, I will now go to my pyre, to my pyre, no tomb for Dinothorn Faramir, no tomb, no long slow sleep of death embalmed, we will burn like heathen kings before ever a, a ship sailed hither from the west, the west has failed, go back and burn. So he's literally telling them to get to your post. Like, go ahead and die at your post. Like, for sure die, because, like, we've got no hope. But he never once tells them to flee or run for their lives. That just didn't happen. So, and then... (laughs) Flee!
1: Run for your life! (laughs) Could you imagine someone in charge
0: telling you that shit? What? (laughs) What? Ridiculous. But I guess that's what they want to do to put Gandalf in charge of the defense of the city at that point. Just ridiculous. But... You know, I also thought it was the, they added Pippin saving Gandalf's life for funsies. You already mentioned what ended up happening. That orc, like, while Gandalf's back was turned, fighting a bunch of them at the same time. One was about to kill him from behind, and Pippin stabbed him. You know, right after Gandalf said, like, you know, this is no place for a hobbit. Well, he, that's a little kind of foreshadow, full circle that happens within, I don't know, 30 seconds. <laughs> and then, you know, Gandalf's like, oh, well, I guess maybe you did. You were helpful after all here. Even though I was <laughs> saving you, but that's fine. So I thought that was just a fun ad. And then... Yeah. On top of that, you know, we're talking about really, not to like close out the, the film here, uh, but this is the last big difference that I noticed of the film is that, you know how they had these large ollie fonts that were mentioned in the book and they're going there? Well, if I'm not mistaken, and unless I was not wearing glasses, I was looking on the screen and saw some huge-ass rhinoceroses out of nowhere. <laughs> fucking dude, rhino, Dude, they're just fucking large-ass rhinos carrying like the catapult things, and I don't remember my rhinos being mentioned at all in the book, but maybe I I'm thought wrong. This was, I thought we were watching Lion King 2, man. I,
1: I was waiting for the giraffes to show up with it. I was like, where the fuck are these zebras and giraffes? Um, From dude, the day we arrived... <laughs> With the what was it fucking called the the gourd or some shit whatever the fuck it was grand oh, it. Grand. The grand yeah the,
0: the grand <laughs> you know it's it's actually really funny too because this next part here where they the, the, the captain the, the, the deformed face guy is telling them to break through that gate and the I don't know the lieutenant or whatever is saying hey like we can't get through and he's like well we're gonna bring like the grand or whatever uh, so I just thought. I never, I didn't remember seeing this. I'll be honest. I had a conversation with Chase. I was like, dude, I don't think this happened in the book at all. Chase, was like, no, like, I, I remember that happening. I was like, shit, then I must have really, like, overlooked it. And sure as hell, we went back and read the passage of the book, and there was the Gron thing with the wolf, <laughs> with the shape of the forehead, the, and the shape of the body of the wolf with, like, the steel chains around it that was used as a battering ram to blow it to hell and i just i guess i just over like oversaw it so i was annoyed with it at first and i realized like shit like i was the one in the wrong like i guess it was in there so cool so i'm glad that the the, the movie did something to kind of prove me wrong in a way i'm glad that we had did the research ahead of time before we, we started it but yeah it was just really really interesting <laughs> that I just, was it, it really com- funny a complete I, oversight I was so glad
1: i was like you know let's just because you had me convinced i was like nah maybe i like mistaked it with helms deep where they were trying to take out that door and i was like oh thank god we look that up or someone would have destroyed our ass on social media
0: (laughs) anyways sorry yeah no that's pretty much it and that's the last big difference that i really had between like the film and the novel for this part and the sequences that followed along outside the fact that we're still not caught up with Frodo and Sam, as as it pertains to it, because they still haven't even gotten to Shelob's lair, and they've already gotten past the Shelob's lair in the two towers. You know, we ended up with the orcs taking Frodo and Sam running against the door and getting there not in, in enough time. So we're still not caught up there either. You know, and we're already halfway through the movie now because we got the part one here completed, and we're still not caught up with where they're at. So I don't know, man. It, like it, it's it's fine. It was cool, but that's the last big difference I have. Did you have any more before we you know kind of close up shop? No man, I mean on on the bright side to
1: to your aid here, I mean it was a little different. They were pulling pulling that shit with nose. I don't remember it describing that part, but okay, it was an interesting little lad there. But no, I was uh I don't know, I I don't know how I feel about this one. I don't I don't know. I'm. I love I love the visuals. Like the visuals are really good. Like if I was going for Michael Bay syndrome, I'd be all about it, man. Like the visuals were cool, but I don't know. There was just some things in there, <laughs> some things that, uh, you know, Tyrion says this just cannot be forgiven. <laughs> I don't know what. What are your thoughts on the film overall? The part it one was, specifically.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for me this has been the film that had the most amount of differences and also the the most amount of differences that affect the plot line like the one with Saruman there and following like the, <laughs> you know, we talked about it yesterday or not no, sorry last week when we we closed out like the aftermath of the big war and everything you know the hobbits go back to the shire and they still have to get rid of Saruman there who kind of took over everything and so the fact that he just dies here before we even <laughs> caught up with like the events that yeah it just It's just so out of place and it made no sense at all and it does affect you know what happens after everything that was in the book it was a complete contradiction so things like that just like this so i was disappointed in that sense that you know if there's a lot of differences but it doesn't really affect the plot line like i'll find little annoyances because i'm really nitpicky and i'm I'm just kind of like that as a person just want i want things to line up as as accurately as possible i know there's going to be changes and that's fine but like don't don't do things that negatively affect the plot of the story to me especially you know you you call the the movie is called The Lord of the Rings The Return of the King and the book is called The Lord of the Rings The Return of the King You're supposed to be uh, you know based off of the novel so I know it's not gonna be perfect but there's just some things in there that like you said you know just it was too too different for me to really be able to look past it and so for me so far this has been my least favorite of all the films we've covered so far you know part one part two of Fellowship part one part two Two Towers This so far, part one of Return of the King, has been my least favorite of the films.
1: Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree, man.
0: (laughs) I gotta agree. Um, and clearly,
1: we know that's going to be a difference for next week because Saruman's dead. <laughs> eyes, you fucking killed him off, man. You just fucking killed him off. Tongue didn't go floating down the Float Sam, Jet Sam. Like, any of that. Like, he was, I don't even know what happened to him. He got shot with an arrow from Legolas, and he was, just left him on the top of the tower, <laughs> apparently drowning the filth or whatever Treebeard <laughs> said. I feel like that entire scene was just because someone... Literally, they were sitting in the shooting room. Peter Jackson and all the directors, and someone in the back was like, well, "What about what about drowned with the filth? That'd be a good line." And Peter Jackson's like, "Who said that? We're gonna make this happen. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> drowned with the drowned the filth."
0: Well, he didn't say okay. drown. He said it, like the filth of Shalaman is being washed away. okay that that was it but like (laughs) i get what your point though it doesn't make any sense with what actually happens because if you guys remember treebeard let saruman leave let him leave like without gandalf's consent or anything and he even told gandalf like i do not like living things just caged like i'm not gonna do that so i didn't think he was dangerous anymore so i let him go and that's that and so that you know it's just wildly different (laughs) i don't know why they decided to do it like that Mathematically, I just don't know what the odds are
1: that a big ass heavy crystal ball stays in your cloak as you fall down. I called it. Uh, I called it fifty feet. You said that shit was like
0: three stories. Dude, that shit was like twenty stories. That that was for sure at least a hundred and fifty <laughs> feet in the air. At least, like, could be more. Like, I just don't know who was in
1: charge of that scene because I would have even looked at that in the cutting report, but like. It just doesn't make like it's cool looking but this just doesn't make any sense i <laughs> got the, the bridge mill you <laughs> like, stabbed him i don't know man uh on a this was i have to say yeah this was
0: this was bad <laughs> so, so my i just i just did some quick research while we were talking here and the the tower of orthonk is said to be 500 feet tall Five hundred feet. So this guy fell five hundred feet, but that Palantir stood right where it was supposed to be in his sleeve <laughs> all for all five hundred foot of that drop. So just wanted to throw that out there. I don't I don't know. I mean this just this is this
1: is what I, I like the movie. Like if I looked at it like its own thing, like if I didn't look at it as Lord of the Rings, I would probably enjoy it. I enjoyed it as a kid watching it in theaters because I wasn't thinking about this stuff. But this was truly my least favorite of all the films <laughs> Lord of the Rings he watched. <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put this part 1?
0: For me, I would give this on a scale of 1 to 10, part 1 of The Return of the King, the extended edition. I would give it 7.1 out of 10. That's pretty rough.
1: <laughs> passing though. It still passed. I would give it. Man. It had some cool moments though. Like it had some cool visuals. And I really liked the the whole Nazgul thing. I thought it was cool. And Gollum, you know, with his crumbs. That was pretty tricksy. I like that one. <laughs> that was a pretty tricksy move. I'm going to give it bit of a 7. 7 9. I'm going to give it a 7 9. I think that's fair.
0: All right. Don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, that's that. You I know, mean, for what we've talked about so far, we only have what next week for Differences Part 2, then our bonus episode. And, you know, we're kind of saying goodbye to Lord of the Rings. You know, is there anything else that you wanted to mention here for what we covered today before we close out? No, I man. It's just been, it's been one hell of a ride. It,
1: you know, it, it's always funny how we, always end like some big arc around this time because i was looking today this time last year was actually the last episode of deathly hollows finishing the book whereas like here we're already on part one of return of the king so kind of a full circle moment for us here and it's just been one of those arcs that um it's amazing how fast it's going gone too but i was thinking today um you know we started this in march so it's still been a long ride, but it's been an enjoyable ride, too. It's been fun. It's it's definitely made me, you know, kind of re-dive in to the books and appreciate what it is. Um, also, you know, I, I got to say, yeah, we, you know, I kind of ragged on this movie specifically, but overall, like, so far, the movies haven't been, like, they've not been the worst thing I've seen, and I truly enjoyed some of the other ones. So, uh,
0: yeah, it's been an awesome ride, man. I'll let you close this out. I agree. agree with pretty much everything you just said there. Um, cool. I mean, you know, I'm super happy for all of you that have tuned in today and listened. I hope everyone enjoyed what they heard. And, you know, if this is your first time joining us and you're looking to figure out where you can find us. We are on all social media. Uh, we are on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. On Facebook, we're at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. YouTube, we're at Ridiculous Patronus. Uh, Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. And we also have our own website as well, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. So you go ahead and go ahead and follow us on any sort of those sites. Click like, subscribe as well. And then going into the podcast specifically, if you're looking to where you can listen to what we cover every single week. You can find us, if you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on iTunes if you are an Android user. You can find us on Spotify, on Google Play, Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase and Josh, Factor, Fantasy are there. So please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us star review ratings on Spotify. Please go ahead and comment on things that you agree with, that you don't agree with. We really do enjoy audience engagement. But you know we're out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.